Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Arteris. And this week, I should have really thought through how I was going to finish this. No, no, you're doing great. Just just go this for it. This week, we're turning the key, shifting yep. into reverse, looking yep. carefully in the rearview mirror, checking our seatbelt. This is good, Ian. Why don't you do the beginning? Backing out of the driveway and then running over, over that skateboard. Because because we ran into a skateboard and we forgot our cell phone charger. It's road trip time. Woo woo. That's honk honk. What Ian said. Um, (laughs) And for this special sub series, Joe will be providing thoroughly realistic (laughs) sound effects. effects. I've already done all my road trip sound effects. I can keep doing the honk honk. Of Joe saying the word that describes the sound effect. (laughs) Uh, honk noise. Beep, beep. Honk, honk. Chugga, chugga, so I'm chugga, sure it's chugga, very chugga. clear to you listeners that we are doing a, a month of road trip books. And to help us kick off this wacky new series, two, our two high school English teachers. There you go. Nothing says wacky like two high school English teachers. Nick, my name's Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. And if you are looking for a road trip book, specifically a road trip audiobook that can be read in like eight hours... I recommend one of my favorite books of all time, the 1962 John Steinbeck novel. Nope, it's not a novel. It's nonfiction. Travels with Charlie. It's Nick, it's good. It's great. Wait a minute. I love it. Are, are novels fiction? Usually. All now, of them? there was an episode where Joe tried to finagle it a little bit and said <laughs> there was a true crime book that he was claiming was a quote unquote nonfiction novel. But yeah. it's been, it's been oh, we hooked him up yeah, to a polygraph machine, and the polygraph machine said, Joe's lying, it doesn't exist. Said BS. Well, this is a nonfiction book with novel elements. It, 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 it's great. It's Travels with Charlie, 1962. John Steinbeck. Um, Nick, my name is my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I am also a high school English teacher, and today, if you're looking for a road trip audiobook, I would recommend one of Joe's favorite books, Travels with Charlie. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs> so Nick, I'm afraid that you aren't, you don't believe me that this is my favorite book. Do you believe me, Nick? Uh, not only do uh, do I not believe you? But I didn't hear you say that, so pretty <laughs> confused <laughs> all did. around. You said well, you said one of my favorite books. So you're right. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's so hard <laughs> to commit to a favorite book. Like I feel like favorites are things that children have, right? It's like, what's your favorite color? It's like I don't know. I'm an adult. Yeah, that's how I feel about best friends. It's like, oh, this person's my best friend. It's like, great. What are you six? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they are six, and then it's yeah. awkward because then you just. You just trashed a six-year-old. Yeah, in that case, that person was six, so I pushed him down into a puddle. Right. Well, um, I just want to remind the litheads that um, although this this the next month is going to be full of of single uh, singular books in each episode, and you know it's meant to be uh, fun books you can listen to while you road trip. Um, as somebody who feels pretty sick right now. And uh, who can't bear to pick up a book or turn a page? This could also be a fun series to just listen to at home. 
uh, these audio books. While you're quarantined. Yeah. While you're quarantined. A lot of uses, I guess, is what we're saying. I just had a vision of Nick just slowly getting sicker and sicker as this podcast goes on, and eventually <laughs> he dies, and Holy this becomes cow. like a, like a Tuesdays with Maury situation, but oh. for the year 2021, right? So, Nick, if you could uh, bestow any life lessons, like deep wisdom on us, like as you face your demise over the next, you know, presumably six weeks or so, um, that'd be great. Yeah. No problem. First piece of advice, don't be afraid to push down a six-year-old into a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good, Joe. Thank you for that uh, gl- uh, gloom prophecy. I think I would rather, and, and we can set this up in case you know any of us says or does cancelable um, mm. crimes. I think I would rather honestly do what, what South Park did with um, the character Chef when oh. Isaac Hayes was like, I don't want to be on your show anymore. They reanimated the character and cut together all of his dialogue from previous seasons. <laughs> so I would love it if if just any of us, you know, we can just really kind of hit our, our wide open samples. So yeah. it's easy for whoever is left. This after is good. Death or being canceled. So we can get like a Dr. Ian DeYoung soundboard. Like, exactly. hello, Dr. Ian DeYoung. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Hobbit fact. Hobbit fact. <laughs> That's good. Let me go first. What an amusing statement for this next piece. <laughs> I don't believe I've ever used Can Ian and or Joe please present their next and or book novel segment? (laughs) You know, I am worried that if Nick specifically dies, um, the last episode will never be released because Ian and I don't know how to edit this show. (laughs) At least not up to the high uh, production standards that Nick has set That's job security um, right there. (laughs) In lieu of a a 30-second teaser, Joe... Um, on mm-hmm. these cop out episodes, what where, where should we begin? Maybe a little bit about the author. Mm. Yeah. Um. Start the ignition. I mean, I I have <laughs> a thirty second summary. I could talk about the author if you want. Yeah, give Nick. us the thirty second. That works. I mean, Joe, if you got it, let's use it. Yeah, I don't it, want you to like do all that work it, for nothing. It. Absolutely. Yeah, well, allow me to flaunt. Nick, Travels with Charlie is what happens when a bona fide literary heavyweight takes on the road trip genre. John Steinbeck is 58 years old and at the end of his career, he's actually kind of at the end of his life when he takes this trip, Um, but he's now a celebrity and he's made his living writing about America. He gets a little bit out of touch, like uh, hobnobbing with LBJ and other celebrities. And one day he looks around and realizes that America has changed so much. In a fit of old age grumpiness, he buys a GMC RV, dubs it Rasinante, and loads up his French poodle Charlie. Travels with Charlie might not be the first American road trip novel. It's not the last, but I think it is the best road trip novel. Ooh. Felt like way longer than 30 seconds. Uh, it was yeah, I, unimaginably I kind of lived in the middle a little bit. I went off script and then I get, yeah, it's, it wasn't. It, 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 Joe realized that it was the only book on this episode <laughs> and he was going to take all the time. Right. <laughs> At least like four, 50 seconds. <laughs> oh no. Foreshadowing. You're also, you're also going to be treated, Leadheads, oh. over the course of this episode to the musical stylings of Nick Argyris. <laughs> wicked, wicked, wicked. Um, yeah, so um, we're going to have car noises and sick noises. So again, the series is for people who are going on road trips and also who feel like dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> um hey great joe that book sounds um you have you have piqued my interest fantastic um, now who is john steinbeck 
Mm, great question. <laughs> good, good question, Nick. I'll, I'll Joe was not prepared Nick. for this. <laughs> no, I, I was. Um, Nick, would it surprise you to learn that John Steinbeck is standing right behind you right now? <laughs> Big fan um, of the show, Nick. I'm not sure what you mean. <laughs> so John Steinbeck is dead is what you're saying. Yeah, he's been dead. Um, John Steinbeck. John Steinbeck is, uh, like I said, a literary heavyweight. Um, wrote books that you might have heard of, like *The Grapes of Wrath*, um, *East of Eden*, a, a book that we talked about on this show called *Of Mice and Men*. Nick, you might remember that uh, the manuscript for *Of Mice of Men* was eaten by John Steinbeck's dog, it, not Charlie, and that. actually an earlier dog uh, that he had. Uh oh. Did he had to get a new dog after the first one with the manuscript? <laughs> oh, Veterinary yes. technology was not what it used to be. <laughs> or it's better than what it used to be. <laughs> the dog died. That was what I was getting. No, we got we got the joke and we were all kind of awkward because you know you okay, don't kill yeah. the dog. I just wanted to explain right. the 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 the, do- uh, the dog situation. Right. I'm afraid that when people look up this podcast episode on the Does the Dog Die at the End website, that now it's going to have to say <laughs> the yes. Answer, the answer will be unequivocally yes. Well, this is good. Uh, you actually brought up a good uh, uh, good chunk of the structure of this show, which is um, not uh, spoiling anything. So thank you there, Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. So welcome, Lit Heads, to You Don't Know Lit, uh, a weekly, or as we call it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can somebody please keep me on track here? You're doing great, Nick. A weekly, or as we call it, getting Strong. even more Just weekly. Do show, because we're Just do the show. <laughs> and as you know, Ian and Nick, we have rules on this podcast. It's not just a free for all. It's not the chaos, fr- as you might have guessed. I mean, okay, all right. I would say it is a free for all, but it's a the special kind of free for all where there are nominal rules. This is good. Right. I'll be Joe in this one. Do you guys want to hear a story about the farm and pus? <laughs> yeah, I hope you're ready to talk about John Steinbeck too, Nick. It's not so easy. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> But uh, John Steinbeck is, and he's right here next to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, rule number one is only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. So I don't, I mean, I do kind of want to know if the dog dies, but just whisper it to me. Hey, um, let's, let's get it out of the way right now. The dog, the dog is fine. The yeah, dogs, dog, I mean, the dog does the die dog. eventually. All dogs die eventually. That's like one of their whoa, things. Whoa, whoa, right? whoa. What's, okay. what's, I'm sorry. What an, what an yeah. unnecessary downer. That should be <laughs> a, the second, that should be a rule. No unnecessary downers. <laughs> That's a good, I, I like that every, rule. Every week. Uh, rule number two is omit needless words, Joe. Uh, so far, so good. Uh, and rule number three. <laughs> Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. I, and oh, and in lieu of that, on uh, maybe the next month, since we we'll only have one book, uh, maybe it'll just be no downers. No downers. No, no downers. Yeah. That's, right. That's the um, new rule. No downers. And then, and then once we go back to the normal structure, we'll go back into those downers. So D- Downer city. Yeah. Vince, you're, you're going to ride the bench for a while. Ooh. Vince? We're put, putting you back on the bench. Oh, Vincent. Yeah, Vincent. Vince. Uh, Vince are pulling you from the game. Beautiful. Flagrant foul. Yep. Good. All right. Um, I want to talk so a, a little bit about plot here. Um, it's it's a very quick 
quick plot. Uh, John Steinbeck gets in a car. Uh, it's a GMC RV that he has custom built with a camper on the back of it. And he drives across America. He leaves his home in New York. He drives up to the Northeast. Uh, he goes all the way across like the, the upper states, like the states that we live in, the Midwest, that's what you call that, down Midwest, California, yes. across the Southwest, and eventually back to New York City. Um, he does something like 10,000 miles in 75 days away. Um, <clears throat> he wins a Nobel Prize the same year that he publishes this novel. Um, as you remember, Nobel Prizes don't have to be for specific novels mm-hmm, like they can mm-hmm. just be for like a career or whatever he wins a nobel prize uh the same year that he publishes this and another book called the winter of our discontent um in fact this would be his second last book that he ever published when he won the nobel prize nick i think you'll like this it was pretty controversial <laughs> oh yeah okay People, uh, you know me, I love a good controversy. I think all the lit heads know that, especially the literary kind of controversy. That's where mm-hmm. Nick's attention focuses. Yeah, literary <laughs> controversy is fun. Book fights. Um, he, we think of John Steinbeck as kind of this literary heavyweight. Um, at the time, he wasn't necessarily as well regarded. Um, he had written The Grapes of Wrath, which was really widely considered a great book, but a lot of his work after the fact, in his lifetime, was kind of seen as not really living up to it. When he won the Nobel Prize um, in 1962, uh, a Swedish newspaper said it was, quote, one of the Academy's biggest mistakes ever. And the new... Yeah. And the New York Times, his own home New York Times, asked why they gave the, uh, the Nobel to an author whose, quote, limited talent in his best books watered down by 10th rate philosophizing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's, it's pretty mean. The haters came out in, in full force. Now, now, Joe, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Was this some sort of pity award? An end oh, of days, oh, end like of life? Um, we, ha- we like got to give it to him before he's still alive. Like Ernest Hemingway, we ran into this. Well, no, he Ernest Hemingway wrote The Old Man in the Sea, which is incredible. <laughs> incredible. Well, but but it, I vaguely remember from our Hemingway episode that like, can't you not receive the Nobel Prize posthumously? So when authors get old, don't they wheel them out and quickly give them the prize? Yes. Well, Even if they can walk, they put them in a wheelchair and roll <laughs> them out on a stick. Take it better. easy, John. Even even Hemingway, like they were, he had those like 18 different um, airplane crashes one after another. And I think the Nobel people were like, oh no, he might die. Dude, so This man has a death wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Get the um, wheelchair. Yeah. So, so it was kind of one of these things. Um, also, his, his uh, he was also wheeled out by LBJ and given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, <laughs> Wait, they wheeled this. each other out. <laughs> yeah, I think I think under like similar circumstances. Um, this this actually the Nobel Prize backlash kind of bummed out John Steinbeck. Uh, he stopped writing after this. He lived another six years after after his Nobel Prize. Um, he died relatively young, 66 years old, 68 years old, something like that. And he didn't publish anything for those last six years. Um, when he himself was asked if he deserved the reward, he said, quote, frankly, no, period. Man of many words. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he probably should have wrote a better response. 
All right, give, give me the give me the quick over on John Steinbeck. Just just a a fine a fine white American man who just wrote about America. <laughs> like, is that just? I mean, is that pretty much it? Is that who? He's a America's novelist. Who is this guy? Give me the broad strokes. I'm not looking for any details here. Personal opinions only. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think America's novelist isn't the worst way to think about it, right? He was a guy who made his career writing about America first. Um, First in California, right? Like a lot of his famous novels are set in California. Um, and then he broadened his scope kind of throughout the entirety of America and came to great, not only like literary success in his own lifetime, but he really celebrity success, right? Like he was a hot shot author. He's really interested in the common man. The rapper? <clears throat> no. No, oh, okay. emphatically not common. the rapper. Because I had never um, heard him referred to as the common man, just common <laughs> That's usually. his full name. He so usually just goes little, by common. Yeah, right. exactly. It's common for short. No, this is, mm-hmm. he's, he's, um, he's like really <laughs> interested. Man. He's not, he's not going to tell, tell you about, I mean, he, he'll tell you about rich, fancy people, but the focus is not, he's not really particularly interested in or excited by like glitz and glamour and, you know, mobsters the great gatsby type like high life he's much more like here's this random dude who lives in i think pennsylvania and here's like his life is not great or here's this these two men who are in california and wow that sure is hard it's just (laughs) it's very much it's very much um interested in in blue collar life he has a very blue collar name doesn't he john steinbeck yeah it's a good name Great name. Probably yes. the reason why he was probably so successful, I'm guessing. I think Not most sure. writers do that, though. Well. They're like, what's my name? Okay, I have the kind of name that I could write fantasy novels. Or I have the kind of name that I should write investigative journalism. So, You know, I read once that if your last name is something is like Moeller, for example, you are significantly more likely to become a dentist than a normal person. I don't person. believe that's true. That's, I, I think it's that's true. true. <laughs> I mean, well, and, just and, just look at Johnny Basketball, <laughs> one of the greatest players who you ever what, you make played point. the game. I, I, I can't <laughs> argue with that. <laughs> I think that's I, did true. Did I ever tell you guys my last name is Podcaster? <laughs> Nick Podcasty oh, Podcaster. That's why. Yep, Nick Microphones. <laughs> um, uh, Jesus. Hey, let's hear about this book. <laughs> <laughs> you have um, four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's doing some Joe mentioned something called John Stein facts and I want to get in before that yep. and do my thing called John Stein facts which is a game. <laughs> you have a thing called John Stein facts? You guys both accidentally made up a you guys got to connect before these things. I, to be fair, mine <laughs> was not a game. Is, we did. <laughs> we were texting. <laughs> yeah, well, use more words next time. Okay. okay well, somebody so is, somebody start their version of the game. This is not this is not a, a game about John himself necessarily. It's more about like things that happen in the book. And it's in the vein of I was going to do Would You Rather, but then I decided it's more fun to do a, a choose your own adventure. So um, I'm going to offer you guys a choose your own adventure. And then if it's kind of like if you guess right, then you win a point. And if you don't guess right, you don't get any adventure points. Does this make sense? Kind of. Does it build it on top of each other? So like, it absolutely does, f- does not. No. Okay. So the, the, they're all like little islands, little vignettes yeah, of choose it's like, your own adventures. Yeah, it's like choose your own adventure, but with with much less work and thought put into it. Okay, I'm gonna try to dismantle this game at every step. 
we would expect Sound nothing good? less. Uniform. Okay. The first, the first, um, the first one for you guys. Your dog is sick and is unable to urinate. Do you try to amateur medicate your sick dog using a 1960s era first aid kit, or do you trust the alcoholic veteran, veterinarian surgeon when he says the dog's going to be fine? I will probably try the the least invasive method first. So the the the, the drugs that I'm not familiar with. Oh, okay. And uh, Joe, well, I guess Joe, you know what happens. Yeah, I would, I would give my dog a sleeping pill. <laughs> yeah. So yes, you Nick, you get one point. Congratulations, right. you you get to progress further down the the, the rabbit trail because, in Love fact, it. this happens in the book, and the poor Charlie is really sick, and so John Steinfacts, his solution is take him to the vet, and the vet is drunk, and so he's like, okay, try again, um, sleeping pill, and the sleeping mm-hmm. pill does it. It works. John Steinbeck's a veterinary genius. He uses like a quarter of a sleeping pill. So the dog is fine. Don't worry, folks. The dog is fine. Okay. Dog's fine. We cannot stress enough. The dog is fine in this book. Congratulations. You've gotten past the dog phase. Bark, bark. Now you're hungry. Do you stop at a diner where everything is simultaneously too bland and too salty at the same time? (laughs) Do you heat up a can of canned beans on the stove? Or do you go to bed without supper feeling lonely and sad? Mm. I was always afraid about boiling a can of beans because, like, that thing's going to explode. Basically, mm. it's a bomb. Um, well, you do take so the top off first, but... Oh, you take the top off? Yep. Wait, wait, wait. So when you cook a can of beans on a campfire, you don't just, like, throw the can of beans <laughs> among the flames? Oh, just ready to explode. Um, I, like to, I like to warm up my beans by putting the can in the oven. <laughs> just directly in the oven. Really hard to open afterwards. How do you guys make dinner? <laughs> Is that not how you do it? Um, I would probably just uh, eat the beans cold. I know that wasn't an option, oh, but okay. I'm going to no, insert a, that. Uh, yeah, why, a, why warm them up? It's fine. Just call. put it in your fucking mouth. Sure. I, yeah. I would. I, I might I might go to a diner and yeah. and and uh, chat up chat up, you know, flow. Yeah. Well, you you're both correct because he does all kinds of things food related, but they're oftentimes kind of a downer. He's not super jazzed about the food he gets on the road. Um he he has some good he has some good meals out there, but a lot of it is it's it's more about the drinking he does on the road that he prefers. Um alcoholic so, drinking or just like tea yeah, or something? No. Just very much like this is the social lubricant. Mm, gotcha. There's actually a pretty long scene early in the book where he talks about provisioning his yes. RV with alcohol. And Nick, when you when I say pretty long, like I'm afraid you think like a paragraph. It's like a couple pages. I want to say about the different alcohol that he brings on this trip. Um, that's smart. I mean, you're going to drive all over the country. You better find a good way and, to stay drunk. And you don't know <laughs> what the alcohol rules will be in your state. Right. Uh, I have a couple more for you guys. So you've gotten past the food stage. You, good. Congratulations. Now you've Thank arrived you. at the Canadian border. Oh, but they're God. not going to let you go through with your dog, Charlie, because Charlie is not vaccinated. Oh, do you? Is Charlie do you, an anti-vax? Yeah, Charlie is an anti-vaxxer. Do oh, you no. drive on through Canada and leave Charlie behind? Or do you take the plunge and drive through Ohio, but you get to keep your dog? Oh, not Ohio. I know. That's the well, I mean, yeah, could be worse. Could be Nebraska. 
Um, I guess, uh, get at me, everybody from Nebraska. <laughs> um, I, I can guarantee uh, much of my wife's family is going to be grouchy, you, Nick, because they're all from Nebraska and I love it. The first time I drove through Nebraska with Elsa, I was like, wow, this place is kind of gross. And she was like, how dare you? It's the most how beautiful state on earth. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I never thought of it that way. Um, I guess I would uh, just go ahead and use my context clues here to say that he's going to stick with the dog and go through uh, Ohio or whatever you yes. said. Okay. Yes, yeah. he does. Um, he does leave. Um, he does. He does leave the Canadian border behind. He turns around. He has some trouble getting back into America because they're like, well, we're not going to let you in with that dog. Is it vaccinated? And he's like, no, but I just came from here. And they're like, yeah, but you're coming from the Canada side. He's like, you saw me drive past. He does drive through Ohio and he keeps the dog. Last one. Hey, Ian, just to stop you real quick, are you making a vaccine joke right now? Or no. Is this no. actual dog vaccinations? No, it's actual no, dog, it's dog actual vaccinations. Dog. It's what, for like rabies or distemper or something, Joe? Yeah, it's, it's some dog disease. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Joe. Very good. Well, it's <laughs> not like your last name is a pause or anything, so we wouldn't expect <laughs> you to know that. But is that something that they still check? Like, do you have to have all your paperwork if you bring a pet over the border? Yeah, I think so. Like I, you, we have to, when we bring our dog if to a border, for example, they frequently require proof of vaccination for things like rabies and distemper. So I bet the Canadians are real sticklers. I bet the Canadians are sticklers for that. Just you know. to be clear, we're comparing an entire country to a very localized um, boarding house for Yeah, dogs. the Canadians <laughs> seem like sticklers. <laughs> As okay. we do. Okay, congratulations, Nick. You've gotten to the final stage. This is the boss battle. You've gotten to the deep south. Your trip is almost over. And what do you know? It's just at the historical period when schools are being desegregated. You see two hitchhikers on the road. Do you pick up the good old boy who eventually gives you an earful of white supremacist nonsense? No. Or do you pick up the older black man and accidentally offend him and scare him that you're racist? Oh, this is a tough decision. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, um, I'll give you one clue. Remember, you wanted to break the game. Man, they both sound like they happen in the book. Those were extremely specific <laughs> examples. Um, I'm going to say I do both. You do both. You do both. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, it's crazy because uh, this book, yeah. and, and Nick, congratulations. You have successfully finished the road trip. You are mm -hmm. now John Steinbeck, and we have to refer to you as... The John, boss for the, the next yep. forty-eight minutes. John Steinbeck's famous name. John Stein boss. Um, <laughs> this is a, it's really crazy, and maybe maybe Joe, you're going to get to this, but the the end of this book, he there's a point in the book where he's like, yeah, I've gotten I got through a lot of America, and I realized I haven't come to any major conclusions, so I'm just going to hit Texas and the Deep South, and then go home. And so he goes no, to Texas, don't and that's end a, in the South. A fascinating wow. section. <laughs> but the then he goes he to the South, and so much of this book has been, I wouldn't say like lighthearted, but fairly pleasant. Like mm -hmm. he's enjoying the beauty, he's enjoying the culture, he's talking to to waitresses at diners. Um he's sharing drinks with literally everyone. And then he goes to the South and he's like, I'm gonna get into the race thing. And it's just yeah. very heavy and deep and big. Yeah, and and like Ian said, a huge tonal shift like in the first, fourth quarter of this book. Like you get to the fourth quarter of this book and it's like, oh man, mm -hmm. this got kind of, yeah, not not even dark, but just like, oh, this got real serious, serious. real yeah, first, quick. Yeah. First three quarters, he's he's doing diners, drive-ins, and dashes. 
with Guy Ferrari. Yeah, he's joshing yeah. with people. He's like, he's letting Charlie off his leash so that Charlie can go meet strangers so that John Steinbeck could be like, oh, I'm so sorry about that, right? Like that sort of thing. He has uh-huh. so many hilarious ways of talking about his dog peeing on things. Mm, okay. Oh, Nick, there's a scene. There's a scene where he brings Charlie to the Redwood Forest, right? To see the Redwoods. Yep. And he's obsessed with getting Charlie to pee on one of these things. <laughs> That's right. I forgot it's about pre- that part. It, <laughs> like obsessed with it. <laughs> this is the part where we in the podcast where we all laugh at the inside joke of the book. Nick, it's like it's like you've <laughs> if you've ever taken a really, really long road trip, I'm talking like two, three, four weeks, mm-hmm. and then you get Jesus. back home and you're like, there is so much stuff that happened, and you don't remember all of the remarkable wild stuff until you look through your camera roll, your, your, your photo roll on your camera mm-hmm. or your, your phone. And you're like, Whoa, I totally forgot about that place. That's what reading this book is like. It's, it's so jam packed with these little funky adventures. And then you go back to it and you're like, Oh my goodness, that thing. I totally forgot about how he persuades uh, a, a Montana father, no, an Idaho father that his son going to New York city to become a hairdresser is not a bad thing. Right. Oh my God. And and it's so funny because when I was prepping for this show today, I was asking my wife who loves this book very much. I'm like, Hey, I have some stuff that I want to talk about, like some scenes that I really like. What are some scenes that you really like? And she named four scenes that like, I also really like, but I hadn't even thought of. <laughs> right. Can I actually read uh, his paragraph about Wisconsin? Cause this is one of the reasons that yeah, I, I would love like, that. I've got, I've got like a few like reasons you should read this book besides the fact that you have to because it's the only one we brought this week. And mm-hmm. I think two two of the big ones two of the big ones are he knows how to be how to wax poetic and he knows when to shut up. So mm-hmm. um I'll talk first about shutting up. He 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 falls in love with Montana. He goes to Montana, he's like this is amazing. If Montana had uh an ocean, I would just move here right away. He's Montana's the best. But he says love is inarticulate. He can't really explain his love for it. And it's this really interesting, valid idea that when you love something like deep in your bones, it's hard sometimes to express clearly the power of that love and the source of that love, because it's your, like it's you. And we've, we've hit on this in, in this podcast. Sometimes Joe and I bring books that we deeply, deeply love. And it's hard to explain why we love them. It's hard to like make you guys love the books that I love because it's my, it's my affection. So when he talks about Montana, he's like, this is my favorite state that I went to, but he doesn't give you a thorough rundown because he's like, I can't, I can't. He knows when to shut up. And the flip side of that is he really knows how to be poetic. This is his paragraph about Wisconsin. It is possible, even probable, to be told a truth about a place, to accept it, to know it, and at the same time not to know anything about it. I had never been to Wisconsin But all my life I had heard about it, had eaten its cheeses, some of them as good as any in the world, and I must have seen pictures, everyone must have. Why then was I unprepared for the beauty of this region, for its variety of field and hill, forest, lake? I think now I must have considered it one big level cow pasture because of the state's enormous yield of milk products. 
I never saw a country that changed so rapidly. And because I had not expected it, everything I saw brought a delight. I don't know how it is in other seasons. The, the summers may reek and rock with heat. The winters may groan with dismal cold. But when I saw it for the first and only time in early October, the air was rich with butter-colored sunlight. Not fuzzy, but crisp and clear so that every frost-gay tree was set off. The rising hills were not compounded, but alone and separate. There was a penetration of the light into solid substance so that I seemed to see into things, deep in. And I've seen that kind of light elsewhere only in Greece. I remembered now that I had been told Wisconsin is a lovely state. But the telling had not prepared me. It was a magic day. The land dripped with richness. The fat cows and pigs gleaming against green and... In the smaller holdings, corn, standing in little tents as corn should, and pumpkins all about. Grease the country or just like uh, like melted grease? <laughs> like Hello. melted grease, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like he burned fat and it just okay. got like oozy. Like a ghee. Yeah. Yeah, so like I love what Ian talks about, like this inability to express your love. Because it, one thing that I always find when you tell somebody that, that you are going somewhere that they have been, they can't help but just inundate you with advice, yes. right? And yes. it's and it's it's obnoxious. Like it's to the point where, like, when somebody when when somebody says to you, "Oh, I'm going to Greece or whatever," and you've been to Greece, you have to stop yourself from saying, "Oh my God, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this." One thing that John Steinbeck talks about really early in this book, like, like first chapter, like first few pages is he says, look, America is huge and everybody's trip is their own, right? Like he has a great line where he says, you don't take a trip, a trip takes you. Right. And I think that's such an important idea. <laughs> okay, Boris. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it's like such an important idea in this because it's something he articulated something that I guess I've felt about travel for a really long time. Because when you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to Greece, I'm going to Turkey, and they start giving you information, like they start giving you their opinion, it's the last thing in the world you want to hear. And I always think that, like, <laughs> I always think that everybody's trip is their own. Thing. And more often what you find when you travel, I mean, boy, if you want to talk about metaphors here, more often what you find when you travel is just a reflection of you, right? Like it's just a reflection of like what you are and your view of the world. Yeah. He, he says, he says, um, uh, towards the end, just about as he's about to turn towards Texas and then the deep South, he says, um, I went on this trip to like discover stuff about America, but he says, I, these are my people in my country. If I found matters to criticize and deplore, they were tendencies equally present in myself. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like, I, I, this is my trip. And if somebody else from England or France or Italy were to take the same route I did, they would, um, they would be, they would have a different trip. If they even saw what I saw, heard what I heard, their stored pictures would not only be different from mine, but equally different from one another. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, the trip is your own and the trip comes from who you are. It's not, there's no objectivity to it. J 
Joe, do you have any ideas about a book that could definitely not help you figure your life out because it's stupid and overrated? So when I was a kid, there was this book in our like hamper. The hamper's not the right word, like magazine rack. And it was called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And I read that book and I thought it was stupid. This book is just as stupid. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> well, okay. So Jonathan Livingston Siegel is this book that's supposed to be about like soaring to new heights and achieving your personal potential. And it's just like this new agey bullshit, right? Um, this book that I, what, I want to talk about the alchemist. The alchemist is the same tawdry BS. And uh, I, I can't believe anybody has ever spoken kindly of it. This is the book you're bringing? What is happening right now? <laughs> Alchemist <laughs> fans and loyal lit heads, we have yes. we we present to you our first ever <laughs> non-recommendation. Our first ever <laughs> condemnation. Okay. We're gonna talk about the Alchemist next week, and we're and going to end so spoilers with a round rebuttal of this book. Right. You know, this um unbelievably terrible teaser um has me <laughs> thinking. Um Maybe we should just do reverse episodes where we bash books. <laughs> well, hey, tune in next week for our pilot reverse episode where we bash the alchemist. I like condemn. Condemn the alchemist. Read by Jeremy Irons and a waste of his talents, to be sure. Yeah. So anyway, so this month we're doing all uh, books to listen to while you do road trips. So um, uh, how long is this one come in at? like four, four hours it's pretty short yeah, yeah. it's just a so baby. nice maybe like a localized road trip this is yeah. our shortest one so we're doing a four-hour road trip like a day trip so that's like two hours one way yeah you know yeah. around you know so two four hours hour round trip yeah 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 we get it all right so join us next week as uh joe apparently uh bashes the book that we're gonna try to convince you to read ian is also going <laughs> to bash definitely it. gonna bash the book yeah we have nothing okay. nice to well, say we're all very book. confused over here <laughs> But let's tune in next week to find out what exactly is going on. <laughs> John Steinbeck goes on this trip because he is sick and he is old and people are infantilizing him and he hates it. Um, he has this this kind of rant early in the book where he talks about like this childhood, this second childhood that falls on so many men. And he's got this great line where he says, this second childhood falls on so many men. They trade their violence for the promise of a small increase in lifespan. He says, in effect, the head of the house becomes the youngest child. I've searched myself for this possibility with a kind of horror. And then he says, I've always lived violently, drunk hugely, eaten too much or not at all, slept around the clock or missed two nights of sleeping, worked too hard and too long in glory, or slobbed for a time in laziness. I've lifted, pulled, chopped, climbed, made love with joy, and taken my hangovers as a consequence, not a punishment. I did not want to surrender the fierceness for a small gain in yardage. My wife married a man. I saw no reason why she should inherit a baby. How good is that? <laughs> I just love that idea. Like you see this happen to like everybody, obviously, as they get older. We're coming off, of course, or I'm coming off reading, reading Being Mortal last week. Um, it, like, like I love this idea of John Steinbeck is at the end of his life or, you know, kind of getting into infirmity. Um, he's, he's getting sick. He has health conditions and everybody in his life is starting to baby him. And this trip in some ways is just a straight up rejection of that treatment. He's like, Hey, I'm still me. Like I'm still John Steinbeck. I'm a big Back boy. Up. I'm a big boy. <laughs> I think I would 
characterize it as maybe philosophy without pretension. It's not pretentious, oh, yeah. but it is mm-hmm. philosophical. And he he deals with, I think, big issues. Like I've mentioned, love is inarticulate. Um, he He has this powerful, beautiful moment where he's like driving home and he's like, I can tell you what mile marker it was that I knew the trip was over. And I yeah. was like, dang, that's a thing. When you're driving mm-hmm. home from a, from a trip, there is a spot on the road where you're like, that's <laughs> uh, it. I'm done. It's done. He's also, yeah. he also talks about the power of nostalgia. He's got this whole long section about when he goes back to his childhood oh, home and how things yeah. are so different. And we've talked about with nostalgia, bittersweetness, you know, you're never able to go home again. Or he drives around the country by himself um, with with Charlie. And Charlie, he kind of gives Charlie a little internal monologue, but also like Charlie is not a person and he gets lonely. <laughs> and he, he, he talks about how beautiful it is to be alone and balances that with the emptiness of being lonely for the people you love. It's just, this book, I think, does access something true about humanity, about, about people. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I was I was in like twenty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've got nothing else to say. It's a, it's a fantastic <laughs> book. It's one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, it's narrated by I never know how to say his name. Gary Sinise. Gary That's Sinise. That's yeah, G- Gary Sinise. Um, the guy. I think oh. Gary Sinise narrates like all of his audio books. I don't know if he's just a big fan or well, what. He's, but I think he's played he's played a variety of uh, yeah. Steinbeck characters. Fair enough. Yeah, and the audiobook is great. Um, it's wonderful to listen to in a car. It's wonderful to listen to on a road trip. On a boat. When I was listening to it, when I was re-listening to it this time, there was a couple segments that we listened to. Um, but my wife and I happened to be traveling a little over this last weekend. And when we took our road trip through California, we would like tune in to the things he was writing about like as we went so like when we were driving through the redwoods we listened to john steinbeck talk about the redwoods when we were in salinas we listened to him talk about salinas um which by the way i would recommend <laughs> it, was, it was cool my wife make she really wants it to be said that i read this book only at her insistence when we very uh, first met uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and she also wants it to be said that not only did I read it on her insistence, I, I like, I, I bucked against it at first when she recommended it to me, I wasn't interested in it. I didn't want to read it. And of course I read it. And this is when we were very first dating, um, within the first like six months that we knew each other, I bet I read this book. I fell in love with this book early on. And it's a book that we have subsequently. Um, subsequently bonded over, right? Like it's kind of this book that's in some ways right there at the foundation of our marriage. So shout out to Megan. Um, thank you, my my dear, dear wife. I'm so happy I read this book. Um, I also want to say that my dog's name is Charlie. I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys know that, right? Like I have a dog named Charlie after this book. That is that is how important this book has been in <laughs> shout our out life. Charlie. Shout out to Charlie the dog, who's the best. Aren't you? Pretty awesome. She's, she's right here. She's always here when we record. <laughs> she's Charlie. Everywhere Charlie you is standing just behind you. <laughs> it's also a really good book to tell people is your favorite book. I mean, uh, we did deep we did deep cuts a couple weeks ago. If you tell people that your favorite book is this weird little novel by John Steinbeck, they've probably never heard of it. It's just mm, instant credibility. Very pretentious. I love very it. Very pretentious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's how we do over here. Um, that is how we do, Ian. Yes. Can I give you guys a Hobbit fact? 
uh, as, yeah. as, as my wrap up, John Steinbeck loves his dog, Charlie. We haven't talked much about Charlie. Charlie's a good dog. Um, it's a good, good, good he's, boy. He's a good boy. Yeah, Charlie's a good boy. Um, so I was like, you know what? I wonder if J.R.R. Tolkien had any pets because there aren't really pets in the books in the Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. There are a couple of dogs, but they're like massive hunting dogs that are possibly supernatural. And there are practically no cats. So I'm like, did Tolkien have any pets? So I did some poking around on the internet, and it turns out not only did the Tolkien family not have pets, Tolkien seems to have had an active dislike for cats. So one time, <laughs> one time, one time, a breeder of cats uh, wrote to his publishers and said, "Hey, we would love to name some of our cat like varieties, varietals after characters in Lord of the Rings." This is back when like. The, the books had just come out and it was sweeping the world by storm. So they sent this to the publishers and the publishers were like, I don't know. This Tolkien, is the weirdest think? letter we've ever received. <laughs> <laughs> so they sent it on to Tolkien and Tolkien was like, hmm, it's my personal <laughs> belief that cats are agents of the evil one, but you probably shouldn't tell the cat reader that. Um, was he wronged by cats at some point? Well, Probably. everybody's been wronged by cats at some point. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's true. true. <laughs> if they don't, oh. if their allergies don't get you, their <laughs> claws and teeth will. <laughs> God, Litheads, uh, hey, Litheads, reach around, take your hands, put it behind oh. your back if possible. Give yourself a little pat on the back. Wow. Because you that's know what? That's great. You're a huge part of the success of this podcast. And by success, I mean we have fun every week. And theoretically, we imagine you have fun when you listen to us. If you don't have fun listening to this, please, please do not write in and tell us. We don't need that kind of negative reinforcement. <laughs> it, would, it, it would hurt our feelings. Um, if, you, if you are enjoying the podcast, hey, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell an enemy, uh, tell a work acquaintance who will look at you funny because of your taste in podcasts. Um, assign us in schools, probably not schools for like kids because we do swear a lot but uh you can also you can also be involved by um uh following us on our social media on instagram twitter and facebook at you don't know lit um you could also head on over to our website you don't know lit podcast.com where you could suggest a theme or a book and tell us what to do we are working through a bunch of great recommendations in a few few weeks we have coming up um it's an absolutely monumental listener recommendation so uh looking forward to getting to that and um, you can also like us. Or, uh, sorry, review. So give us a five star review on the. You can also like us, though. <laughs> You're I mean, also welcome to. If like you us. want to just like cherish in your heart a feeling of affection towards people whose faces you may never have seen, that's cool too. We mm -hmm. appreciate that's it. That's how I say it. Please like us. Please like us. Please, please like us. Please, please. please like us. <laughs> uh. So Steinbeck's got this great quote early in the book where he just talks about like the romance of travel and the urge to be somewhere else on him. And that was the quote I was planning on reading. But every time I come back to this book, I just fall in love with the same passage over and over again. Um, there is a scene early in the book, in the first probably quarter of it, uh, in which John Steinbeck, John Steinbeck goes to Vermont. And while he's in Vermont, he goes to a sermon, like a fire and brimstone oh, sermon. Oh, oh so, and, and this is, this is um, what he writes. He goes to the service and he says, The service did my heart and I hope my soul some good. It had been a long time since I'd heard such an approach. It's our practice now, at least in the large cities, to farm up to find from our psychiatric priesthood that our sins aren't really sins at all, but accidents that are set in motion by forces beyond our control. Well, there was no such nonsense in this church. 
The minister, a man of iron with tool steel eyes and a delivery like a pneumatic drill, opened up with a prayer and reassured us that we were a pretty sorry lot. And he was right. We didn't amount to much to begin with, and due to our own tawdry efforts, we had been slipping ever since. Then, having softened us up, he went into a glorious sermon, a fire and brimstone sermon. Having proved that we, or perhaps only I, were no damn good, he painted us with cool certainty what was likely to happen to us if we didn't make some basic reorganizations for which he didn't hold out much hope. He spoke of hell as an expert, not the mush-mush hell of these soft days, but a well-stoked, white-hot hell served by technicians of the First Order. This reverend brought it to a point where we could understand it. It was a good, hard coal fire, plenty of draft, and a squad of open-hearth devils who put their hearts into their work, and their work was me. I began to feel good all over. For some years now, God has been a pal to us, practicing togetherness, and that causes the same emptiness as a father does playing softball with his son. But this Vermont God cared enough about me to go through a lot of trouble kicking the hell out of me. He put my sins in new perspective. Whereas they had been small and mean and nasty and best forgotten, this minister gave them some size and bloom and dignity. I hadn't been thinking very well of myself for some years, but if my sins had this dimension, there was some pride left. I wasn't a naughty child, but a first-rate sinner, and I was going to catch it. 